you turn in your Bibles this morning, we want to begin reading in God's Word, Genesis the 18th chapter. We'll begin reading in verse 1. We're going to read a good portion of Scripture here just to set the context for the message this morning. The title of the message is Being the Friend of God. Being the Friend of God. And this is another message along the line of godly ladies and gentlemen. We've been preaching about what it means to be a godly man, a godly young man, a godly gentleman in the Word of God for several weeks. And again, we're not using a book of etiquette in the world. We're using God's book of etiquette to understand what He sees as godly ladies and godly gentlemen. So let's read in Genesis 18 and 1. And the Lord appeared unto him, that's Abraham, in the plains of Mamre. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, Three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will fetch a morsel of bread and comfort ye your hearts. After that you shall pass on, for therefore are ye come to your servant. And they said, So do as thou hast said. And Abraham hastened unto the tent unto Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes upon the hearth. And Abraham ran unto the herd and fetched a calf tender and good and gave it unto a young man, and he hasted to dress it. And he took butter and milk and the calf which he had dressed and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age, and it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said within himself, you understand, he didn't say this out loud. Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Now listen carefully. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said... Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked. 
and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? <laughs> That's a lot of scripture to read, and I, more than I normally read. By the way, that'll be the most perfect part of the sermon, <laughs> just reading from the Word of God. But I wanted you to get the context of what is going on here as we think about being the friend of God. I read the first part of it so you could understand the context that this is one of those amazing and unusual occurrences that has happened throughout time where God himself came and visited with an individual. And he visited with Abraham. He had a meal with Abraham. And you see what happens as the meal concludes. The Lord gets up from eating. And I can just picture it. It's like a movie scene of foreboding, uh, foreshadowing. And he goes to the hill and he overlooks the vast valley of Sodom and sees far off the city of Sodom, knowing what he is about to do on that wicked nation. And he, within himself, he reasons and he says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? I want you to see that being the friend of God, being God's friend, being God's man, and for that matter, being God's woman, <laughs> It will clue you in to some truths and some things that the world just doesn't know. Think about it. When certain destruction was coming upon one of the most wicked societies that has ever existed, here's a man speaking with God, making intercession for children of God because he knows something that others don't know. And you say, well... How's that relative to us today? I, I hope you'll see how it is relative to us today. But understand what's going on here. God visits with Abraham. God interacts with Abraham. And God reasons within himself. Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, I want you to think about Abraham. You say, oh, well, he's just an archaic old cartoon-like character, right? <laughs> Wrong. Abraham is the originator of three world religions that are still around today. So don't dismiss Abraham as a nobody. The Jewish religion is still takes its root back to Abraham. It did in the days of Christ. And those Jews that are still worshiping today, the Lord in that way, they take their origin back to Abraham. Christianity takes its origin back to Abraham. In those days, the covenant that was made, you understand? And even Islam, you understand? Even Islam takes its root to Abraham. They just take their descent from a different child of Abraham. Okay? Not Isaac, but a different child. So three of the most prominent major religions that are around today, even off after, what, 4,000 years, 4,500 years, 3,000 years, something like that, that's incredible that for century after century after century, since the days of Abraham... You can find worshipers that are worshiping the Lord in some religion. Okay, praise God, we understand the true line of Abraham, which is, comes through the Christ. Okay, thank God we understand that. But Abraham is an important man. Now, you say, well, what was so special about Abraham that God in His mercy reached out and, and took Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and out of pagan worship. What was, he must have been a real special guy, you know? Well, I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but he was not. 
He was just an ordinary sinner who was worshiping false gods. And God in His mercy chose Abraham, not because he was the best looking or not because he was worshiping God, but He chose him in mercy. That is the mystery of election, you see. And if you see the election of God taught in the Scripture, it can only make you reach this conclusion. Why would He choose me? How many times did Abraham say, Lord, why would you choose me? See, that's the beauty of God's mercy. There was nothing special about Abraham. He was just an ordinary descendant of Adam, but he became special. You know why? Because God made him special. And you are special, child of God, because God has set his love on you. Some say, I'm just too much of a sinner. I've done too much. I've gone too far. Maybe you have. Maybe we all have. But that is not the point. The point is because God has set his love upon you like he did Abraham, then you are special. So don't overlook who Abraham is. His relevance is around you, around the world today, from the three major religions that have descended from him. Abraham is described as God's friend. And I think we have some great insight into why he was God's friend. Remember, God made him his friend. You understand that? You know, he went and took him out of what he was and said, you're going to be my friend. He, Abraham didn't go looking for God to be a friend to him. Like, Lord, would you be my friend? No, God took Abraham, set him over here, and he said, now, now you're my friend. And the beautiful thing about Abraham is he actually tried and, and made effort to be God's friend. If you don't make effort to be a friend, you'll never have friends. You say, well, what's the, what's the key to Abraham? Why he was God's friend? It's because when God told him to do something he would do it. That's the bottom line right there. That's a very simple way to live, is it not? If God's word says, do not lie, then let's don't ever lie. Just, just well, you say, just do it. <laughs> just do not lie. You get it? <laughs> the, Lord, the Bible says, do not do this. Or the Bible says, do this. The word of God says, forsake not the assembling of thyselves together as a church assembly. That's something to do right there. Just do it. Nike didn't coin that phrase. <laughs> God coined that phrase. Abraham coined that phrase. God said, Abraham, get out of your home and go over here and live over here out in the wilderness like I'm telling you to do. He just did it. Okay? Now, Abraham wasn't perfect, right? He's, he's a man. He's a sinner. He's subject to like passions as you and me. But the, the basic quality of Abraham was God said do this, and he did it. Oh, parents, don't you love whenever you tell your kids to do something and they do it? That's a wonderful thing. <laughs> Just do it, young folks. And you say, well, yeah, I, I, I admit I'm a hypocrite because there were times that I didn't do that whenever my parents told me to do it. We're, we've all been there. But isn't it wonderful to just, to just feel the presence of, of fellowship when you just do it? You see? <laughs> it might be making up the bed. It might be taking out the trash. It might be keeping your room clean. It might be washing the clothes. It might be all of these mundane things that you as a young person hate right now, but you're going to make your kids do it one day <laughs> without question. <laughs> you see, that's the quality, the basic quality that Abraham had in being the friend of God. God made him his friend, and then Abraham worked at it. You have to work at it to be the friend of God. You have to work at it to be friends with anyone, don't you? <laughs> I've said this many times, the, the way that we increase fellowship and increase relationship in, in terms of how we know each other are by the experiences that we have. And if, if we all just sit back and say, well, I'll wait for 
so-and-so to set up the experiences or to make the opportunity, then it's never going to happen. We have to feel that upon ourselves, feel that burden and make those opportunities happen. I've said many times, you know, your reality in many ways is what you make it. If you sit back and say somebody else is going to have to make it happen, well, then it's probably never going to happen. We have to make those things happen to experience things with one another. Sometimes they might be good. Sometimes they might be bad. You know, life is not all wine and roses. You know, in the world you shall have tribulation. There's trouble in the world. (laughs) So sometimes it might get rocky. Can we say that in the life of Abraham and his friendship with God, sometimes it was rocky. (laughs) Sometimes he had to go out and fight a war to bring back his, his... rebellious nephew sometimes he listened to his wife who led him off into some pretty dark places from time to time sometimes he lied and said my wife is my sister because he's scared to death that he might get killed when god jehovah the triune god is on his side how silly is that you see it wasn't all wine and roses for for abraham it was something that he had to keep working at but his thrust his goal his focus was to be the friend of god by just doing what God said and believing what God said. So God looks upon the scene here. Now I want you to think about it. We have got an insight to the mind of God and the workings of God's mind in these few verses here in Genesis 18, verse 16. As God looks upon Sodom, He thinks in His mind, should I tell Abraham? He's my friend. That's basically what God says. He's my friend, so I'll tell him. (laughs) Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? I ask you this morning, is that thing which God does, is it hidden from you? (laughs) It wasn't hidden from Abraham because Abraham was the friend of God. If you're striving to be the friend of God, young man, middle-aged man, older man, if you're striving to be the friend of God, there are things that God will show you In His Word, I'm not talking about a vision that appears in the sky, and I'm not talking about the Lord showing up and you having a meal with Him under the tree here on this earth. I'm talking about His Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you to see things that you would not see if you're not the friend of God. The Lord said, verse 19, for I know Him. You know, the Lord knows you, and He knows me. He knows where we fall. He knows where we rise. He knows where we're weak. He knows where we're strong. He knows and sees what we do in private. He knows and sees what we do in public. He knows and sees everywhere we go. That is is really kind of unnerving if you really spend any time pondering that. The Lord knows everything about me. And I've heard one of the preachers say in the past, you know, how would you like it if the Lord at the end of time put up a movie screen and played the movie of your life? Well, and I'm not talking about the highlights, (laughs) you know, where here's Brother Tim when he did this great thing and he did this great sermon, if there ever has been one. And, you know, here's this great moment. I'm talking about everything, you know, from the from the public to the private to the times when you're alone and you the times when your mind runs away with you and you think, how did I let it run away? That would be very unnerving, wouldn't it? (laughs) If we had a movie played of our lives and everything we've ever thought about each other that would be unnerving i'm happy to tell you at the end of time god's not going to do that if anything was going to be played at the end of time it would be the life of christ and you see the one that took away your putrid thoughts and cleansed you of your sins and your private sins and your public sins that's what's going to be the focus then now i do believe we'll have total recall of everything that we have done but 
you know, hope and pray that your neighbor next to you doesn't know that. <laughs> but how will you ever appreciate what God has done for you if, you don't, if you're just some kind of blob in heaven and you don't remember who you are? <laughs> I would not want, and you would not either, the private and public entirety of your life to be played upon a screen. Your, your thoughts within your mind, your actions, that would be horrifying and embarrassing because we're sinners. God knows everything. So, you know, you might as well go ahead and confess to the Lord. <laughs> he already knows it. You say, well, why should I confess it if he already knows it? Because he is your friend. You see, you want to be the friend of God? Confess your sins to God. And there might be scenarios where you have to go and confess a sin to a friend, you know, somebody, or a loved one, a spouse, or whatever. And that's all well and good. But the Lord is the one that knows you and sees. You see? So God says in his mind, I know him. Now watch this, that he will command his children. Now you, you know the, the messages we've been talking about being godly men has to do with why, why a man was created. And you remember the Garden of Eden, Adam was created to lead. And before the fall, it, it appears that there was a complete equality in the leadership of man and woman. There's no differentiation made between man and woman until the fall, you see? And the curse came, see? But in the purity and the innocence before sin, you've got God saying to Adam, and either God relayed that directly to Eve or Adam related to Eve. We know some of what God told Adam was relayed to Eve by Adam. But God says, have dominion. Subdue the earth. God created mankind to lead, you see? And here is God describing what that means when it comes to being God's friend. He's describing what it means for a man to lead. Okay? He says, for I know him, that he will command his children and his household. Now, immediately, if your mind has been polluted by False masculinity. You know, you, you think about a general. <laughs> you know, yes, commands. <laughs> you know, oh, I'll bark the orders and everyone will obey. You know, well, it, it doesn't really work that way it's in any circumstance. But don't let that throw you off. The, com the word command right there. In the command, it just means to bid, to charge, to set in order. God says... I will tell Abraham a little bit more about what I'm doing because I know Abraham and he will set and order his household and his children. You see that? By the way, how many, how many children did Abraham have at this point? <laughs> With Sarah, let me put it that way. With Sarah. How many covenant children did he have at this point? None. So Lord, the Lord is looking to the future. You see that? That he will bid. Now listen, he will command his household. Now, sadly, in the last hundred or so years, especially in the religion of Christianity, you have seen not just men, not just husbands, not just fathers, but the entire family unit just sort of turn a lot of this over to other groups. It's been turned over to the youth group. It's been turned over to the Sunday school. And many times it's been turned over maybe to the Christian school. But this cannot be missed. There was no youth group. There was no Sunday school. There was no public school or private school or Christian school in those days. It was just Abraham, you see, and his wife. 
And God said, I know him. He will command his children in his household. He's the one that, that I hold responsible. He's the one that will show himself friendly to me by doing this. We cannot abdicate our role of leadership to other entities. Isn't it strange that the rate of young people that are leaving the church in, the, in religion in general, in Christianity in general, isn't it strange that this is the maybe second or third generation of young people that have come up through the Sunday school or the youth group, and, and they're just leaving in droves? God, help us from that. Part of that is because, and, and maybe the most significant part is, because parents have abdicated that over to another entity. God says, my friend Abraham is going to teach his house. He's going to command his children. He's not going to leave it to some other entity. He's not going to farm it out. See? Does that make sense? I hope it does. Now, I want you to think about this. This really, this really hit me as I was studying this. Here is God standing on the hillside overlooking a wicked, several wicked nations. You know, he didn't just destroy Sodom. Remember, there were four or five, and I think he spared one or maybe two, but there were, there were several nations, including Sodom, that he was going to destroy. And here is God standing on the precipice, if you will, standing on the ledge of going to destroy in the final days, the final hours of a corrupt, filthy Society that had ruined itself and devoured itself on fornication, on adultery, on homosexuality. Here's God looking upon that and he's about to go do it. And in that moment, as he ponders whether or not to share with Abraham, his friend, what's about to happen, in that moment, look at what he says. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that uh, which he has spoken of him, God is thinking about the future of Abraham. You see that? I know that he will go forward in what I have commanded him. And Abraham is going to become a great nation. You see? Eventually he has descendants that become known as Israelites, the nation of Israel. So in the throes of a dying nation, God is thinking about the future of his Friend. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> you know, as he stands there thinking about what he's about to do to end the society and completely crush it out and judge it, in the back of his mind, he's thinking, here's my friend that's going to carry on my truth. He's going to carry my banner forward into the centuries. Can I ask you the question, where is Sodom today? Where is it? They think they've located in archaeology where it may have been. And it's... It is a completely non-fertile, just rocky, like, like a, you know, almost like a volcanic type area that nothing can grow in. They think they've located where it may have been. And it's, there's not even a remnant there of what happened. It's just, a, it's just a byword for the worst type of sin that affects the world. And where, is, where are the descendants of Abraham? I already told you about the three great religions that are still around. Christianity being the true faith in that. It's still here. 
Can it be that all those thousands of years ago that we're still benefiting from Abraham being God's friend? Yes. And I tell you, child of God, if you will be the friend of God and you will just do what God tells you to do as a man, as a woman, or as a child, you will go forward and you'll, you'll be like Abraham in a sense. I'm not saying 3,000 years from now they're going to be calling your name. No, Christianity has already been established through Abraham and Christ. You understand? But you will set things in motion for generations to come just by being the friend of God. And you say, well, I can't see that far ahead. Well, then just look to the generation of your children or your grandchildren. You know, we celebrated Link's first birthday yesterday. How time flies when you're having fun. And all these years I've heard people say, well, man, when you have grandchildren, you know, it's just, it's just different. You know, it's just different. And you can't know that until you have a grandchild. <laughs> and it's right. It's different. It's just something. You know, I heard a joke. And this is no throw off on, on Link now, but I heard the joke one time, you know, the, the grandfather said, you know, the, the little angels come over on Friday and I send the little devils home on Sunday. <laughs> I'm not talking about Link, of course. <laughs> but, and that's not what I mean when I say it's different. It's just, it's amazing. It's just amazing. So if you can't see a thousand years down the road, guess what? You don't have to. Just see your children. And if you're a young man or a young woman, you, know, you may not see your children yet, but before you know it, you'll have them because time flies. Time flies. You know, time flies when you're having fun. It just creeps along when you're in misery and rebellion. Every day is a drag. Every day is a drama. Every day is, is terrible. But whenever you're having fun, when I mean fun, I mean serving God. You know, that's almost a verse of Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, the good man shall not much remember the days of his life. But the wicked man will think about this that happened and that that happened and how horrible this was. And it's just a complete drag all the time, you see. So don't you want to be the friend of God? I speak to born again, touched by grace, saved by grace, children of God here today. Or you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. I speak to God's born again children. And I'm telling you that God calls upon you as a born again child of God to be his friend. You have to make effort to be his friend. Just like you have to make effort to be friends with anyone. Okay? So in the final chapter of a dying nation, Sodom, God refers to the future of his nation in Abraham. And I want you to notice, it says in verse 19, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord. The word keep right there means to hedge or guard or protect. Notice it doesn't say they will keep their way. It says they will keep the way of the Lord. You know, do y'all realize how hard it is to, at times, to keep traditions and keep things you know i've tried to start a few traditions in my life and it takes effort to keep them you know like i don't know i guess it was 2001 we started the mule day night music festival up there in zion and missed a year or so in there and missed a covid year but you know we've been doing that for 20 plus almost 20 years i guess it takes effort to do that it takes effort we have to make plans we have to make sure things are going to happen and, and if i just said I'm just tired. I'm not going to do it. I don't think anybody else would pick it up. You know, it takes effort to make things happen. You know, it takes effort to have family get-togethers. It takes effort to have church fellowships. It takes effort 
to put in time to do things that are beneficial. Now, it's funny, but it seems like it takes more effort to do things that are beneficial than it takes very little effort to do things that are bad. You just fall off of that in that ditch just right away. I heard one preacher say that it was a lot easier to form a bad habit than to break a bad habit or establish a good habit. But by the grace of God and being the friend of God, you can do that. You can. That's called repentance, by the way. So Abraham is recognized as the friend of God because he would keep the way of the Lord. Oh my goodness. We're going to start meddling now. There's a lot of people that keep ways of their own. You can just ride. I don't encourage this because you'll get stuck in traffic, but on a Saturday in Tuscaloosa, whenever the Crimson Tide is playing, just ride through and see the traditions that people are keeping. There's uh, there's uh, motorhomes everywhere. You know, there's tents up. There's all kinds of stuff going on. You know, some of it may not be bad, and then some of it is bad. <laughs> you know, and then you fill a stadium of, what, 105,000 people? Which, listen, I love football. <laughs> I love it. It's, it's my passion. I love it. I played it. It was, it was to my detriment I loved it so much. And I've, I've told this before. Sorry, Sister Tracy, but some of these old stories are just so good, i got to tell them again. <laughs> you know, Sister Tracy and I got married. And we moved to Nashville. We were up there in our little house, and it was all sweet and quaint. You know, we've only, we're, we're newlyweds, and, you know, it was in the fall. And, you know, one of the first Saturdays we were there together, you know, rolled around. And, man, this is my day for 14 hours of football. You know, I don't care if it's Oregon State playing, you know, Wichita State. It's football. Turn it on, and let's cheer, you know. And when, if it's not your favorite team, you can swap sides, you know. <laughs> Maybe by the time we get to the end, I might be pulling for this other team. <laughs> but now when it comes to my team, you know, I, no way. But, <laughs> and I'm sitting there, you know, for hour after hour after hour watching this stinking football. And I remember in the you know, peripheral vision, I remember a few times just Tracy, you know, she'd come to the door, you know, she'd walk away, you know, and she'd come back to the door. And I know she, she's thinking, what is this guy doing? What if I married? You know? He's going to spend 12 or, and you know, by the time, if you've ever watched football or sports for a long time, it will wear you out just watching. <laughs> you know, I, I tried to do a little assistant coaching, you know, with the volleyball team this year and, and, and Sister Dana, you know, being the head coach. And, you know, I just went from cheering over here basically on the sideline to going and cheering on the bench. But whether it's volleyball or whether it's, oh my goodness, tennis is even worse because you can't yell at tennis. At least I can yell and say, go, go. But at tennis, you go, I have to go out in the car and just go, ah, you know. <laughs> For some ungodly reason, some law, the 12th commandment years ago, somebody put in that you can't yell at tennis. I'm not having it. But anyway, I may yell this year. Guys, I'm sorry. But <sighs> I would be so exhausted at the end of the day just after watching people running up and down the field running into each other. And it dawned on me the end of that day, like it was four or five o'clock in the afternoon. I've eaten three or four bags of popcorn and I'm tired and worn out. And every team I've watched that I wanted to win hadn't won. And I'm like, what is my life worth? You know, I've got this beautiful new bride. And we could be walking in the park. We could be seeing the sights of the world. We could be seeing the sights of Nashville. We could be having a, holding hands. While, and I'm watching this stupid TV. That was one of those moments that I just kind of had an epiphany. I'm like, you know, what's wrong with me? Now, there's some of you sitting here that's been spending your 12, 13 hours a day watching that kind of stuff, you know. Maybe this will be your moment of repentance, you know. I had it. I thought, 
You know, how am I being a friend to her? We're sitting here watching this for 12. It's okay to watch a game or so, you know, but my goodness, this is just over the top, fanatical. But that was an epiphany for me. I'm not being her friend by sitting here spending all this time doing this. You know, Jesus said where a man's treasure is, there's where his heart will be. Now, if you want to equate that out to real life, you say, oh, that's a sweet saying. That's one of those trite sayings. No, it's a real saying. What that equates to is where your treasure is is where you spend your time. You got that? If you work a 90-hour week and don't spend any time with your family, that's where your treasure is. You say, well, I can't help it. I got to pay the bills. Well, why have you got those bills in the first place? You understand? If you, if you do something like that and spend your time like that, that's where your treasure is. If you spend all your day on Saturday, 12 hours like I did or more, watching a, 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 a pigskin move up and down the field, well, that's where your treasure is because that's where you spend your time and God said to Abraham he will spend his time commanding and teaching his family are y'all with me this morning <laughs> you want to be the friend of God young man who doesn't is not married and doesn't have children yet you want to be the friend of God just do what God says prepare yourself now that you don't have to work that 90 hour week so that you can spend time with your family because God didn't say, Abraham's my friend because he spends 90 or 100 hours a week, you know, making a living. He had to make a living. There's no question he had to make a living. But he didn't let it take him away from what his primary purpose was, which was to lead his family. Oh, I think about my dad many times. And look, now, I'm not telling you that just because we had an you know, agriculture farming lifestyle, I'm not telling you that dad was there all the time. The worst times of life for me was Christmas morning when dad was milking cows. You know, we'd be up at the crack of dawn and daddy'd have been up before the crack of dawn. And then we'd have to just sit there and wait until he got through milking. Mom would say, he'll be home soon, you know, from milking cows. And we'd have to sit there and just wait until he got home so we could see what we got for Christmas. I couldn't stand it. So I'm not telling you that dad, you know, he was like there for every second of the day, you know, he, but he was nearby and you could get access to him just like that. You know, that's, it's important. Think about that. Whether it's an agrarian or agricultural type living or whatever it may be, you know, access. Now, a little caveat here, and I'm going to pick on my kids just a little bit. I've told my kids, you know, you call me anytime, call me anytime. And there's times whenever I may be with a client and I can't answer. <laughs> and, you know, I'll try to send you a note and call you right back. I do forget sometimes. I'm sorry, kids. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But here's the rule I've always said. If you are hanging by a root on the edge of a cliff about to die, you know, and I don't answer, call me back immediately. You know, call me twice, like boom, boom, if I don't answer. You know, death is imminent. You know, you're, you're in your last breath and I've got to get there. You know, so my kids, of course, call me back twice and they'll say, I'll say, hey, are you okay? And they'll be like, Oh, yeah, yeah, I just was going to ask you, you know, can you transfer, you know, $10 into my account? <laughs> and I'm like, so you're not dying. You're not hanging on a root by the edge of a cliff and it's about to go, you know, go and you're, you're dead. <laughs> so, just a little bit of picking on right there. Hey, look, they pick on me too, so. <laughs> you know, Dad, you know, he was not there every second of the day, but you could get access to him anytime you needed to. But I think about what I learned from my dad. And the glorious, at first when I got to go out there to work with him at, you know, seven and a half or eight years old, mom will say that's debatable, but it's not. I was seven and a half or eight. <laughs> and I couldn't mop the chicken drinkers because, you know, the mop was you know, like this. 
You know, and Dad so graciously cut the mop in half. You know, I was like, Dad, I can't do it. I give up. I'm done. And he so graciously cut the mop in half. And I was like, man, I can actually use this now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was a drag to begin with. But after a few years went by and I realized the lessons that I was learning and the character that I was building because I was watching my dad and his work ethic and his determination, not just in making a living and making a dollar, but in providing for his family. I tell you what, that taught me lessons that I carry with me today. It's the reason I work the way I work today, just from how, having spent that time with my dad. Oh, I do believe my dad was a friend of God. He wasn't perfect. <laughs> but I believe he commanded his household and his children. God rest his soul. <laughs> Abraham was a friend of God because he commanded his household and his children after him to hedge and guard and protect. Watch now in verse, verse 19, to keep the way of the Lord. You catch that? Not to keep the way of the Crimson Tide, not to keep the way of the old Miss Rebels, sorry folks, or the Mississippi State Bulldogs, or the, you know, fill in the blank, you know, or the Sanford Bulldogs, you know, which is where I went. <laughs> not to keep those ways. It's okay to see a game. It's okay to enjoy some of those things. But the purpose that, that we are to keep, the way that we are to keep is the way of Jehovah, you see? By the way, you say, well, I want to get started. That's what you're doing right now, man, woman, and child. You're keeping the way of God. You're following the traditions that God set in place 2,000 years ago whenever God was resurrected on the Sunday morning and they began to meet on Sunday morning after Sunday morning and we are still in that ongoing phase of Pentecost festival, you see, because the Lord established that when He resurrected. You say, I want to get started. You're starting right now. You see, you're in it right now. Praise God. Build upon that. They shall keep the way of Jehovah, the way of the course of life of Jehovah. Now watch, to do justice. This is verse 19. To do justice, it means rightness. It means rectitude. It means virtue. Is that not what we're preaching about when it comes to godly ladies and godly gentlemen? We're preaching about virtue. You see, where is virtue in the world today? Where is rectitude? Where is the rightness? Where is the equity? And I'm talking about the morality of the Word of God. Where is that today? It's missing. It's lost. Oh, I pray that you'll take it to heart. You see, it says that they would establish to do justice and also judgment. The word judgment right there is an interesting word. Listen to this. It means it, it can mean the act, the place, the lawsuit, the crime, the penalty. <laughs> All aspects of everything that relates to judgment. <laughs> now being an attorney, that is something that I'm very familiar with. From the act of someone committing a crime and it be, them being arrested for that crime, them being brought to trial for that crime, a jury rendering a verdict for that crime. You see, that's what judgment means. It carries the idea of all aspects of what happens. You say, what in the world is the Lord getting at? He is teaching us that Abraham will take the time to flesh out and to look at the end result of going this direction, going that direction, going the other direction with his family. You see? Now, he failed to do that a time or two, didn't he? Whenever when Sarah, Sarah brought around a young woman named Hagar, he didn't quite flesh that out, did he? He didn't kind of look down the road and see this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> you see? So he's not perfect. But you understand, that, that is, I want you to get the concrete image in your mind. That's what Abraham would do. He would sit down with his family and he would go through. Now, if you do this, it's going to lead to this. I'm not just talking about crimes, but in general, judgment. If you do this, 
You know, if you begin to do this activity, it's going to lead to this, and then it's going to wind you up here. How many times do you think that Abraham sat around the campfire and they talked about where his nephew was? Where's Lot? Where, what happened to Lot? Do you hear anything from Lot? <laughs> and Abraham says, yeah. You know, we got in this dispute. I told him to go wherever he wanted to go, and poor fella, he moved towards the well-watered plains of Sodom. Last time I heard, even after we brought him back from that horrible war that took place where he and all of his family were taken captive, even after I delivered him from that, <laughs> even after Melchizedek, which is possibly a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, even after Melchizedek, where's Lot? He went back, and he's living in Sodom. And you remember where the angel is? The angel is standing on the precipice there looking over at Sodom. Shall I tell Abraham the thing that I'm about to go do? I'm about to go destroy Sodom, where, where Lot is living. <laughs> Judgment means that Abraham would look at all aspects of things that were going on in his life and in the lives of his family and say, now guys, listen, if you go over here and you begin to hang out with this group that likes in their teens and in their early 20s that likes to party and smoke weed, you know, if you go over here and hang out with that, and the next thing you know, 20 years are going to pass and you're going to be still hanging out with that crowd and your life is going to be a shambles. You see? See, Abraham would start with the act. Okay, moving on through the trial phase. Trying what was going on. And then he would move it into the penalty phase. And then he would move it into the judgment phase. And this is where you're going to be. This is why Abraham was the friend of God. And you know what? For parents, you know what that means? That equates to time. It takes time to do that. It takes time to know who our children are hanging out with. It takes time to know what they're looking at on their phones and on their iPads. It takes time to, to teach and help them understand these things. And that's how you become the friend of God. Don't you want to be the friend of God? Now, as we close our thoughts this morning, remember God is standing there on the edge about to go and judge Sodom. And he says, shall I tell Abraham this thing? Yeah, I'll tell him. You know why? Because he's my friend. And you tell your friends things. So the two angels go on. Don't ask me how that plays out. That's a mystery. But the two angels go on to Sodom. And God is still there with Abraham. And God says, verse 22, the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord, Jehovah. And Abraham drew near. This is, God has said in verse 21, I will go down now and see what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah. God already knows. But listen, this is a total side note, but I want to point this out to you. Look at verse 20. Total side note. But notice the Lord says to Abraham, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is grievous. If you look at the definition of the cry right there, it is the word that comes from shriek. Like somebody crying out, oh my goodness, oh, or I'm hurt. Or somebody's attacking me. You understand that? So the Lord has heard the shrieking of those that were being destroyed and taken advantage of in Sodom and the other nations around it. Are y'all with me? He's hearing the cry of the children that are being abused. He's hearing the cry of the women that are being abused. He's hearing the cry of the men that are being abused. He hears their shriek. It's not just a cry, it's a shriek. Can you picture God up there in heaven? He's maybe just kind of relaxing on his throne and the cherubims are holy, holy, holy and all this is going on, you know. 
And the Lord goes, what was that? What was that? Did you hear something? Well, no, what, Lord, what, what did you hear? Wait a minute, listen, everybody be quiet. And he hears the cries of those babies and those children coming up from wicked Sodom. I know that's taking a lot of liberty, but the Lord says, the shrieks of pain are coming up before me. And their sin, their trespass is very grievous. I will go down now. And I will see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turn and go toward Sodom. And verse 23, Abraham draws near. Now this is something right here. You talk about a friend of God. Have you ever had a friend draw near to you to address some issue or to, uh, to intercede for some situation? God, here is Abraham coming to God and he intercedes. Do you know who he's interceding for? The, the whole rest of the chapter is all about one guy. Abraham is interceding for Lot. But you know what? Abraham didn't, he just didn't quite go far enough. Abraham, like we do, like we often do, Abraham underestimated the extent of, and the ability of evil. Don't we do that? Oh, this is not a big deal. But it is a big deal. We're not living in the day and time where nothing's a big deal anymore. You know, I've said before, you know, there's, in terms of being a juvenile court prosecutor, there are no small threats in school anymore. Every threat is a major mass murder type threat. Because you can't take it as anything else. You have to take it as the extreme. There are no small fights at the flagpole anymore. There's no little incidents or just some kind of incident occurred in the bathroom. None of those things are that way anymore. You can't take anything small anymore. But you've got to be real careful to temper things among uh, God's children with grace, of course. But you understand, we're living in that day and time where we cannot underestimate evil anymore. Abraham underestimated. He said, what if there's 50? What if there's 45? What if there's 40? And he gets all the way down to 10. He didn't go far enough. What if there's one? <laughs> he should have got to one. But I want you to see that the friend of God was not afraid to make intercession for someone that he loved with God. Y'all see that? Abraham was the friend of God because he was willing to go that far. He said, oh, that's great, Brother Tim. That's a sweet Old Testament deal, good story that... I'm just so glad that it's so far removed that it doesn't apply to us. <laughs> Turn to John, the 15th chapter. These are the words of your Savior. As he's speaking to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. John 15 and verse 12. Notice what Jesus says. And you tell me if this doesn't apply to you and me today. And being the friend of God. Just doing what God tells us to do. Being God's men. Being God's young men, being God's boys, being God's woman or, or young lady or girl. John 15 and 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his, what? His friends. You see that? This is not Old Testament teaching. This is as fresh as the morning dew teaching. He says, ye are my friends. You want to be the friend of God? You are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. <laughs> now watch verse 15. Because this ties right into what, what God is doing with Abraham there standing and looking at it. Shall I tell Abraham the thing that I do? Am I going to reveal to Abraham that I'm about to go and do this? And he does because he's the friend of God. The Lord Jesus Christ says, verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you, what? Friends. 
For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. (laughs) Do you get that? You're God's friend when you do what God tells you to do. Now, if you're struggling with the aspects of that, of course, I think it's pretty clear if you're watching 12 hours of football on Saturday that you can get that out the window after preaching about it. But if you're struggling with what that means in your life, God has given you the gift of the ministry to consult and find out how you can fix that. It's the ministry that fixed my direction on the direction that I was going. It's the ministry that fixes the direction that God's children are going and the way that they think if they're not thinking according to thus saith the Word of God. You have access to that. That is God's gift to you. It might not be me. It might be another minister. But that's what God intended for the ministry. To help you see how I can be the friend of God in a better way. Jesus said, you're my friends. Because a friend knows what I'm doing. I've told you what my father told me. And you know what that was? To save you from your sins. God has made you his friend. And now you have to put effort into being the friend of God. A good friend of mine said this about a true friend, a true friend will enter into your trials with you. You hear me? A true friend will enter into your trials with you and bear the burden with you. They won't stand off and say, "Uh." they will enter into your trials with you and bear that burden with you. And a true friend will not be envious of your elevation. A true friend will not resent you or be envious when you are elevated and you are blessed. You get that? You want to be a true friend? Then enter into the trials and bear the burdens with your friends. And don't be envious whenever they are elevated. Praise God for their elevation and rejoice with them. That's why it says we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. See? Let's be the friend of God. I think it's pretty clear how Abraham was the friend of God. And that, according to Jesus, applies to us today. If there's one or more here that would like to show themselves friendly to God by being baptized, we'll give you that opportunity.